We are going to be in John chapter 13 today. If you've got your Bible, you can either pull it out or open it up on your phone. John chapter 13, 35 is kind of our focal passage for the day. And we're beginning this series called Distinctive. And uh, our goal over the next few weeks is to tackle the idea of what does it mean to truly be a Christian. Um, you know, almost every week someone will ask me as I'm out and about in our neighborhood around the city and they find out I'm a pastor and they'll say, well, you know, what, what church are you the pastor? And I'll say new city church. And they'll say, well, what kind of church is new city church? And so I, I get that question weekly, probably many times, uh, just about any time somebody meets me for the first time. And I, and I have a little set answer that I give them. I always say, Hey, new city church is a Christian church that is trying to spread hope by focusing on sharing grace and peace with our neighbors. That's kind of our little tagline. We're a Christian church that's focused on spreading hope by sharing grace and peace with our neighbors. And uh, But then they'll say, like, many times they'll say, well, what do you mean by Christian? And isn't that the truth that many people ask? They want to they wanna know what do we actually mean by that term Christian. The word Christian is a very unique term. I mean, even us sitting in this room all approach it probably in some different mindsets and different ideas. For some of us, it carries a deep personal meaning. For others, it brings to mind maybe some spiritual baggage of guilt and shame. And for others, it could even mean anger and hatred. We all have different ways that maybe we approach the understanding of what Christian is. Christian is not maybe one of those terms that today is as understood as it was when it was first kind of set out. And isn't it ironic that in a nation that most people call a Christian nation or refer to as a Christian nation, we're not even sure what the term means. I, I've traveled a lot this past year. I went to, was able to go to uh, Korea and Kenya, and especially those two places. When I was there, they talked, every time they talked about America, they would talk about it in terms of a Christian nation. And they, they thought every person in America pretty much was a Christian. And so everything that came out of, out of America, the, uh, the work of our government, our entertainment, everything represented what we thought about Christianity. And I thought, what a horrible way to judge Christianity. Like if you, you know, what, the latest movie you saw, that's like our Christian values. That's probably not an accurate picture. Or if you've watched this previous election, that's probably not an accurate picture of what we actually believe as Christians. And so what I want us to do is really to dig in and go, what does it mean to be a Christian? Do you, do you know that Jesus himself never used that term, Christian? He never used it. He never called his followers Christians. The word actually came about uh, later on, years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And it came about when Barnabas was actually discipling Paul after Paul's conversion. And they were in a city called Antioch. And in Acts 11, I'll read this to you. It'll be on the screens. Acts 11, 25, 26. This is where we first see the term Christian. It says, so Barnabas went to Tarsus, to look for Saul, who became Paul, and we had heard of, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now that term Christian, it's not even used much in the New Testament. 
but it's been something that has developed. And the term Christian, when you take it back and you look at, and you, you know, look back to the original Greek and what all it means, it basically boils down to the easiest way to the most literal translation means follower of Christ. A follower of Christ. So Christ came and you follow him. And the best way to say it is they were given that name because they were known as people who tried to mimic the life and teachings of Christ. It could even be referred to as like little Christ, like an imitation of Christ. And so these were people deeply and wholeheartedly committing to demonstrating this internal experience of salvation in their lives through these external expressions modeled for them by Jesus. They didn't have to tell people they were Christians, but because of the way they were living, they were called Christians. So that's a whole different, they didn't walk in to the city and say, the Christians have arrived. We're here. You know, they, they walked in and they began to model who Christ was, how he lived and how he treated people. And they were like, oh, you guys are the followers of Christ because we heard about him and you're doing what we heard about him. And so, you know, let's dive in to that today. And so what I want us to do over the next few weeks is to go back and take a look at this concept of what it means to be a Christ follower. What are the distinctive characteristics of following Jesus, if that's what he calls us to do? Now, I want to be very clear on the front end here that something, doing something, just doing the acts, mimicking the acts of Christ does not make us a Christian. Just because we can equate certain behaviors to Jesus and we can reproduce those behaviors doesn't mean that we are Christians. And these are kind of two competing concepts that are often found in Scripture. And it boils down to this question that has been debated for many, many years is this. Is Christianity something I am being or is it something that I am doing? Is it who I am in my inside or is it what I do on my outside? So can I say I'm a Christian, but not change anything on the outside, but can I change my behaviors on the outside and that equate me to being a Christian? In Ephesians 2, it says, you know, that you did nothing for your own salvation. It's by grace that you were saved through faith. Nothing of your hands, no works. So there was nothing you did to become a Christian. But yet James 2 says faith without works is dead. If you're not doing something with your faith, then are you truly a follower of Christ? And so it's balance of being and doing. And so is Christianity about being something or doing something? Which one? The answer is yes. It is both. Here's what it is. We are saved by grace. There is a a faith that leads us to salvation, and that salvation causes us to do. It's something we become, and by becoming it, we start doing. And here's the easiest way to explain this. Right? I mean, you take an apple seed, it is what it is, it is something, but you plant it in the soil and it eventually becomes something and produces something. That's the goal. It is inherently designed to grow and produce, and that's what happens in our lives. So it is both being and doing. Works don't save us, but they are a result of our salvation. And I want you to understand there's this kind of simple process to help us remember how this works in our life. And it's this idea that salvation and this process of being and doing happens with understanding first sacrifice and then surrender and then salvation 
and sanctification. Those are four words. It's a process that happens in our life. Christ lived a perfect life to sacrifice, pay a payment for our sins, a payment that we could not pay. When we see that sacrifice, we choose to surrender our lives and our will to him. And as we surrender, we experience salvation in our life. Our life is transformed by the salvation, the the new birth of Christ. And then through that surrender, we begin to live a new and growing life of what's called being sanctified, of being steadily becoming more and more like Christ. And oftentimes we get this equation backwards and we start trying to live better and hope that by living better, we'll eventually surrender and experience salvation and go all the way back. And it it doesn't work that way. The equation does not work that way. And so what I want us to do today is dive in and talk about this first internal experience that really defines a distinction, a distinctive part of who Christians are. So if you've got your Bibles, John 13, I'm going to start in verse 34 and just read a couple of verses. And it says this, Jesus is talking. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the first distinctive that we see here is what? Love for others. If we are followers of Christ, we are going to love others. He says you will, people will know you are my follower, you are my disciples, if you love one another. All people, if you love one another, they'll know. So let's just do that, right? Let's just love each other. Seems pretty simple command to follow, right? I mean, how difficult is it to love one another? <laughs> it's extremely difficult. I mean, I, I remember I, when Katie and I first got married, we're getting ready to celebrate 25 years of marriage this year. I remember walking into marriage and I thought, I know how to love this woman. Like we'd been together three years at that point. Like I, I know her, I know everything about her. Like I, sh- I know how to love this woman well. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> Like, I remember we had not been married long, and we were we were dirt poor. I mean, we, like, had no money. And uh, I was coming home one day, and I was at the grocery store, and I saw some beautiful flowers. And I thought, oh, I'm going to surprise Katie. So I bought some flowers, and I brought them home. And, but we didn't have a vase at the time. I think I put them in, like, a tall glass, drinking glass of water, you know, just something to set them out. And she got home, and I was like, you know, I was waiting. I was like in the, in the other room, and she's she was like, "Where did these flowers come from?" And I said, "Oh, I bought them on the way home." She was like, "Why did you buy flowers? We don't have any money to buy flowers. Like, what are you?" You know, I was like, "What? I thought I was doing good." Like, I realized very quickly I did not know exactly how to love this woman at this point. But over twenty five years, understanding how to love, it's working it out. And I I know I love her better today than I did twenty five years ago, but I still don't know how to love her. The whole way. Like, I'm learning every day. And the truth is, you and I fail every day at loving people, don't we? Even those closest to us. Every day, my selfishness tells me that I'm the one that needs to be loved, not the one to show love. I'm the one that deserves to be treated special. I tell myself that if they would love me like Jesus told them to, then I would love them back. Every day, I find reasons not to love people instead of reasons to love them. I see our differences and separate myself from others. I elevate their shortcomings and overestimate, their, uh, overestimate my own strengths. I minimize their value in my life and boast about all that I do. 
I find reasons not to love. Every day I feel unworthy of love as well. I know my own brokenness, my own sin, my deep flaws, and everything that is not worthy about me. And I think I can't be loved. How could others love me? How could God love me if they really knew me? Every day I see how I fail at being a loving husband, father, and friend. I'm unable to provide or unwilling to sacrifice. I am a failure at love. I am. And I think if you were honest with yourself, you can probably identify with one of those thoughts there as well. And this is me telling myself, when I allow these thoughts to come into my my mind, this is me telling myself, I can't do this. When God tells me to love others as he loved it, I can't do it. But remember, Christianity is not just about doing something. It is about being something. And understanding that when the power of Christ transforms you through surrender and then sanctification, the ability to love others the way that Jesus loved you begins to flow in your life. If you try to love others the way that Jesus loved you without first experiencing the love of Christ, it's impossible. Look back at verse 34. Jesus didn't tell us to just love others, but he said to love them as I have loved you. And this one statement makes all the difference. I don't have to love out of my own strength, but I have to love out of the overflow of the love that Christ has shown me. And so hear this. You can't love like Jesus until you have experienced the love of Jesus. You just can't. It's impossible. And that's where this sacrifice and surrender shows up. So I want to give you three things to think about this morning. I, of how did Jesus love his disciples, and how can we experience this and model this? As I've been preparing this all week, I, I was telling some of our team this morning, I was up late last night, a little early this morning, because I, when, I, when I came up with this idea of how do you, sharing with you how Jesus loved his disciples, I think I started with about a list of 12 things. I was like, all right, this is a whole series in itself, and you guys don't want to be here till like 1 o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> and so like, I consolidated it kind of into three major ideas and concepts. And each of these we can unpack, and that's what I want you to do with this. I want you to take these three ideas and unpack them, think about them with other people, talk about them, and say, how does this play out in our life? So how did Jesus love his disciples? One, by completely opening his life to them. If you go back in the book of John, where we're in right now, and you look at verse, or chapters 1 through 12, it is filled with stories of Jesus and his disciples. For three years, they walked around the countryside experiencing life together. They had ups and downs. They had times of laughter. They had times of weeping. They had every experience you can imagine. They did it, but they did it together. It's a story of growing friendships, of trials and triumphs. It's a story filled with teachings and questions. It's a story story filled with hope and despair. It's a story filled with laughter and weeping. It is a story of miracles and failures, but most of all, it is a story of Jesus making his life completely available and open to his disciples. A life of authenticity and transparency. Jesus began his relationship with each of his disciples with one simple statement. Follow me. Follow me. Do life with me. And in doing life, you get to see and experience anything you can imagine. So he opened his life completely to them. Wherever Jesus went, his disciples were. They were there. Jesus and his disciples. And the term goes 
together. I think about growing up, I had this friend named Jay, and like, it was weird to hear one of our names without the other. Like, we did everything together, like, there's Jay and Patrick, there's Patrick and Jay, like, where's Patrick at? He's at Jay's, where's Jay at? He's at Patrick. The names just went together. We did life together. And I love what Jesus did here. He loved them by leading them to weave the fabric of their lives together in such a way that it created this beautiful tapestry that showed the picture of true love for other people. Jesus didn't just ask them to be a part of the periphery of his life and to be an add-on to him. He said, let us come together and weave our lives in such a way that we're almost indistinguishable from one another. That's what Jesus invited them into. That was true love. How do we do this with our lives? Offer an invitation for people to share life with you. Be present in people's lives. Don't isolate yourself. Don't make anything off limits. Teach and learn life together. Work together. Play together. Ask questions. Be honest. Love others as they are and allow yourself to be loved as you are. Challenge one another to grow. Provide accountability and courage for one another. That's weaving the tapestry of our lives together. But it's not just that Jesus invited them into his life. We see in John 13, 3 through 5, an example of what he did next. Let me read this to you. It says, this is right before he gave them this command. Jesus did a very unique thing here. They were about to have a dinner together. And it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, and he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This is both an example of how Jesus did the second thing where he willingly was willing to serve and sacrifice for his disciples. The second way that Jesus loved is that he was willing to serve and sacrifice for them. It wasn't something he felt like he had to do. He was willing to do it. He literally took the role of the lowest servant in the household and performed the task that nobody else wanted to do. And he didn't do this to like prove a point. Like, I'm going to do this. I don't really want to do this. I'm going to do it so that you'll know you should be doing this as well. Like He did it because it was who he was. He loved these men and his followers so much that he wanted and desired to serve them willingly. He set aside his own, you know, pride as became humble and he served. And this is, I want you to understand something about serving. Serving others is not about keeping score. Like, I did this for you. Now it's your turn to do something for me. And then once you do something for me, I'll do something for you again. You know, Jesus served them. He washed their feet with no expectation of anything in return. He just did it. He didn't keep score. Like, sometimes we keep score in our house about serving. Nobody likes to take the dog out. Right? I mean, that's not at the top of our We had people over last night watching the football game. We were, like, all arguing, who's taking the dog out? Who's taking the dog out? PJ walks in from college. We're like, PJ, you got your jacket on. Take the dog out. And he served us. He did well. Thank you, PJ. But, like, we don't, like, we keep score. I've done it once today. I did it last time. And I hate to say this because now, like, I'm going to have to, like, go home and, like, take the dog out all the time. But, like, we have to willingly be like, so what? Who? I love people so much. If it brings them joy for me to serve them, I want to serve. 
Not because it brings me joy, but because it brings them joy. How do we do this? Look for opportunities to serve instead of waiting to be asked. Walk in a life in a humble spirit. Be willing to sacrifice and serve. Don't serve out of your abundance, but serve out of need. Look for ways to meet a deeper need than people find beyond just the physical. But what do they really need on the internal? Serve people individually, not just the same way for everybody. Don't just say, oh, I did this for person. I'll do it for everybody. What do they need? Expect nothing in return. Have no hidden agenda. And instead of looking for recognition in serving, look for joy in serving. The final way that Jesus loved them well is found in the rest of John, John 18 through 21, later on, where we see the crucifixion and we see people failing Jesus and we see that he finally loved them by never giving up on them. Jesus never gave up on his disciples. I mean, think about it. In the last few chapters of John, we see people failing Jesus. Judas betrays him. Peter denies him. The other disciples desert him. And even after Jesus had opened his life to them and they had created this beautiful tapestry together, and even after he had just hours before served them, washed their feet, poured his life out for them, they turned their back on him. And it's not just that they turned it back and stopped following him. They, they literally ran in the other direction. And even though they did that, Jesus never gave up on them. Because now we see stories of Jesus responding to their failure. Instead of abandoning them like they did to him, he sought them out. Instead of growing angry with them, he forgave them. Instead of diminishing them, he elevated them. Jesus never gave up on them, and he never gives up on you. Never. There is nothing that you can do to separate yourself from the love of Jesus. The passage in Romans that states this so perfectly that I want to read should be on the screen. It says this, Romans 8.35. says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or a sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus our Lord. There is absolutely nothing that can separate you from this love. Your failures can't separate you. Your shortcomings can't separate you. Your hypocrisy can't separate you. Your sin won't make Jesus give up on you. And we have to love each other's with a love that they can't lose as well. How do we do this? Forgive people instead of punishing people. Restore them instead of releasing them. Show grace instead of seeking revenge. Give room for growth instead of expecting perfection. Remember that you and I both need all of these things as well. As much as other people need forgiveness and restoration and grace, I need forgiveness and restoration and grace. So my question for us today is this. Are you trying to love others out of your own strength? Are you loving them from the love that you have experienced in Christ? If you're trying to love people out of your own strength, you're going to fail. You will. 
but when you love them the way that Christ has demonstrated his love for you, and out of that overflow, you will change your life and theirs. I can't love you like Jesus instructs me to love you unless I have availed my life to the fullness of his love. Can't. The distinctive part of Christians is not that we're able to love. Anyone can show a form of love to other people. But the real distinctive is this, is that we can love others the way that Jesus loved us. With complete openness, authenticity, and with a servant and sacrificial heart that never gives up on anyone. Love and be loved today. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me?